Hello and welcome to the Flex Podcast, Flex Hoops Podcast. I am Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie. It's tournament week. Joe, how you doing? I am anxious. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I love this time of year. I, uh, I've been playing with brackets all week. Um, it's, it's a fun time of year, but uh, from the Providence side of things specifically, there is a lot going on in the background. So um, definitely a little anxious. I'm excited. I think, you know, this is a great opportunity for Hopkins to get a little bit of revenge against uh, Kentucky and Calipari. But uh, all in all, I- I'm excited for the week. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, that's one hell of a week so far. We're not even close to the game yet. So, yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about it all. You see the title of this episode, Rumors and Revenge. Those are the two big storylines of the week. We're going to be talking about them both. Before we get into them, a word from our sponsors. First, we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. Go ahead and use that for uh, tickets for Friday. Do it if you're heading down to Greensboro. And as always, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. I think we're starting with the elephant in the room here, Joe. Yeah. All the rumors circulating. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah, there's been uh, growing speculation for probably about two weeks now. Well, 365 days if we are only including what Jeff Goodman has to say. <laughs> but... Um, Growing speculation about Ed Cooley being linked to the head coach opening at Georgetown, which that opening is official now as of uh, last Friday, I believe, last Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, yeah, Thursday was Ewing, Friday was Anderson, Yep, I believe. Patrick Ewing out at Georgetown. He's been kind of connected, Cooley has, to this position for a while, tentatively the last week or so two weeks or so is where things really began to pick up steam in regards to Georgetown reaching out to him, trying to do something. A lot of reports now from people connected to Georgetown that they are offering him, that he is one of, if not the top candidate for the position, that they're willing to offer him a lot of money to go down there. Ed Cooley asked about this after the selection show and he didn't say no. And I think, that alone means there is at that combined with some of the other reporting done by very reputable people. Like uh, we all know how we feel about Jeff Goodman. He's good at his job and he's not making this up. Put everything together. Cooley has been offered. Won't say no about the situation. And the team still has one more, at least one more game to play this season this Friday. So it's a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, Matt, you have the receipts. You can, you know, screenshot our texts. You can screenshot our Twitter DMs. I was the biggest, you know, I'm not buying into it. I'm not, you know, indulging in the rumors, um, but or any of the conjecture for that matter. But um, after listening to the Field of 68 last night, there was about a five to seven minute segment in which Goodman, Fanta, and Chris Mack uh, broke this down a little bit more. I will say it's, you know, it's piqued my interest a little bit. Um, and I think following Cooley's comments the other night at the Ruane Fryer Development Center after the bracket reveal, you know, kind of piecing those things together, I would be lying if I if I said it wasn't circulating in my mind. Um, 
I do think, you know, there is something important here that the fan base is leaving out is that, you know, this is Cooley's livelihood. Um, let's take this out of a basketball setting for a second and put it into corporate America. If you work for company A and you make X thousand dollars at company A and company B sees your resume on LinkedIn or whatever social working profile indeed that you use and they come in and they say, hey, we're going to offer you $15,000 more than you're making at company A. You're going to go to your boss and you're going to say, hey, this opportunity landed in my inbox and it's an opportunity for me to provide more money for my family. Or at least you're going to pick up the phone when they call and say, hey, can we tell you what the job is? (laughs) Right. If someone's going to offer you more money to do something that you're good at doing, you're going to listen. And I think a lot of times this gets taken out of context when it's in the realm of sports. I think of this situation, obviously I'm New York based, so I think of the Aaron Judge situation with his free agency. At the end of the day, you know, as much of a game as sports is, there's also a business element to it. And Cooley is just, you know, evaluating options to see what would be the best opportunity for him and his family and his personal income. Now, with all of that said, if Cooley was to leave for Georgetown, would he become the most hated person in Providence and the Big East? Yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah. you, you can't take a program from the gutter and build it to the national prominence that he's built Providence to and then leave for a interleague rival. I I just, I think that's in bad taste. And that is why I don't think that he does it. I happen to agree with Jeff Goodman here, where I think that Cooley's going to do the dance. He's going to listen to the offers. He's going to try and use that as leverage over Napolillo and the athletic department to try and get himself a better offer. But I think at the end of the day, at the 11th hour, he is not going to take the job. He's going to stay at Providence. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of factors here, right? I mean, this is a guy with a first year, um, athletic director, new president at yep. the school. Cooley is the kind of the longest tenured face of not just the basketball team, men's basketball team, not just the athletics program, but the entire school yep. right now. So he knows he has leverage here. And like you said, like it's, he's looking for a raise. If he can make more money, if he can make his job easier, he's going to try to do it. He's a, a human and I'm never going to begrudge him that right to try to improve his own situation he knows he has the leverage especially after winning a naismith and i mean for all the struggles and the the issues we've had with the team this year 13 conference wins is the second most in program history 14 which they did last year is the most in 12 which they did two years before that is in third place so three of the best four big east records have come in the last four seasons he's done a fantastic job he knows the school really can't afford to lose him as long as they can afford to keep him. And I think it would be a disservice to himself to not entertain this a little bit. The flip side of it is, I think, and you mentioned the in-conference part of Georgetown. The, the fact that it's Georgetown and that it's in the Big East is probably why I also lean towards him not, not taking this offer. The fact that it's Georgetown in the Big East is, I think, the only reason why he's even thinking about it in the first place. John Thompson as he's talked about is one of his heroes and how many of us, I mean, it's, we talk about Providence. It's like his Providence is his dream job or is Georgetown, his dream job. Why are we like, you can have multiple dream jobs. When I was growing up as a kid, (laughs) there were a lot of different things I wanted to do at this point in my life. There are still multiple jobs. I would consider a dream job. And absolutely. And he's gotten to be at Providence for a long time. And now another one of his dream jobs potentially is offering him. And, who wouldn't want the opportunity to go to what once was one of the premier programs in all of college basketball 
in a hotbed of recruiting in a place that has a ton of money and be the hero to revive a program that you cared about and you worshipped growing up. It's a great potential opportunity. Is it better than Providence for Ed Cooley? Nobody knows but Ed Cooley. I don't think he even knows at the moment. I think that's why there are rumors circulating and nothing has happened yet. It's, um, but it's, this stuff is complicated. It's incredibly complicated. I think it's a little bit alarming that he does appear to be listening. Um, And yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest news here is the fact that we have gone from two weeks ago, hey, maybe there's something here to, oh, now there is definitely something. And now we're just playing the waiting game. I agree. Um, I also think, and this is the fan side of me coming out here, I think the timing of this is so, so, so ill-timed. This team is already skidding into the postseason. I mean, we've lost all three games that we've played in March. And, you know, now all of these rumors are, are you know, circulating by the hour more, more so and more so as we're you know, projected to play Kentucky at the end of the week. And that game in and of itself, which we're going to get into in a little bit here, is going to be a very emotional game, not only for Bryce Hopkins as a player, but for this Providence program altogether. Um, I I think that these rumors are very ill-timed, and it it, we'll call it what it is. It's a distraction because you can't focus on one thing while another thing is dancing around in the back of your mind. Hopefully, you know, there have been discussions with the, the players and the team to, you know, tune out these these distractions and, you know, stay off of social media. But at the end of the day, everybody's human. These players, these kids, these college kids are human. Um, So I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and speculate on what's going on behind closed doors because my brother's cousin's best friend's roommate is next door neighbors down the hall from a manager that four years ago. Like that kind of, that kind of bullshit is all conjecture. So ignore that. I'll listen to what Goodman and Fanta and who the the reputable think, sources are saying. But. I think generally, genuinely, generally, like Hilltop Hoops and Casual Hoya are pretty pretty plugged into this stuff too. And at least from the Georgetown side, they know what Georgetown wants, and they're right. reputable. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm sticking to my guns with this one, Matt. You still have the receipts. I am. I don't think he leaves, but um, the Goodman Fanta dynamic on the field of sixty eight last night definitely piqued my interest and has brought this to the top of my attention because I was otherwise ignoring it. Yeah. And I think we've, we've gone from the, like, I, I can't, I don't think he leaves, but we're past the point. Like we, we can't guarantee he stays. We've, we've passed that threshold now. And I think that that makes this notable. That's where the distractions come from. Yeah. Um, And we won't have full clarity for that being until the earliest, probably Saturday morning at this point, if Providence loses on Friday, I don't think we'd hear anything before then and likely later. So we shall see what ends up happening with that. That's all we can do at this point. Obviously I think we both hope Ed Cooley (laughs) remains at Providence and uh, he's been a great figurehead for the school, the program, the athletics department, and he's great for the conference. So I'd like to see him stay in the conference by staying at Providence and not move down to Georgetown. Yeah. I, I mean, and we we've talked about this time and time again over the tenure of this season and the off scene is season is that with Jay Wright out of the picture. Now coach Cooley, coach McDermott, and I'm going to throw Shaka smart in here too. now have the opportunity to be these national faces of the big East. If in, in some world Cooley leaves for Georgetown, he takes that opportunity and squanders it because he's going to become the new villain. He's going to become 
he's going to overtake Dan Hurley as the villain coach of the conference and kind of assume that Steve Wojciechowski position that, you know, of that, of that coach that everybody hates. Yeah. And it's funny. The only, the only guy who we've seen do this in a recent memory at any place is Chris Beard going from Texas tech to Texas, which obviously that is, yeah, things, uh, things worked out real well for him. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I think there were, there were a lot of complications there that had nothing to do with him going from one school no, to I know. the other. <laughs> but, um, I think what was notable about that is how very quickly it didn't take very long to that kind of be, it got forgotten as a national thing. It's the type of thing that when they play each other, it got brought up but outside of that. Yeah. The, only the two schools still cared about it. Really only the one school there in Texas tech. So yeah, I, I will say this. I don't think, I think if Ed Cooley does end up going to Georgetown, I don't think the outside community is going to end up caring for that long a period of time. They'll move on pretty quickly. It'll be Providence fans left holding the bag on that one. And for somebody who has preached family for as long as he has at Providence, I don't think that's a great way to go out. Yeah, I agree. I, you can't preach us sweet together family friars and then jump to an interconference rival. I, you just you can't do that. No, no. So obviously, we'll, we'll see if he does indeed end up doing that. We obviously both think he probably doesn't at this point. Play it by ear. Like you said, we got a basketball game Friday too. More, most important topic of the podcast. Yeah. And uh, this is where the, this is the revenge section of the show. Friars get an 11 seed, the very last 11 seed to not be in a play in game. So they were a lock by the slimmest of margins to make the eventual field of 64. Yeah. And uh, yeah. They, they are going to be down in Greensboro. They're in the East region against a number six seeded Kentucky. We thought the Friars could kind of be in this game as the sixth seed in the East region as recently as three, four weeks ago. So a shocking turnaround here. But Friars yeah. in the East be a matchup likely with Kansas State in the second round. If they get through, you get through both of those. They're right back at Madison Square Garden. So there is still a road to the garden here. <laughs> Just everybody drank. Um, but yeah, seven, ten, <laughs> seven, drink. yeah, <laughs> I said, I said the, the phrase seven, 10 Eastern CBS Friday night, St. Patrick's day. What are your early thoughts, Joe? Um, well, I mean, first and foremost, when this matchup was announced, my initial thoughts is that's a generous six seed for Kentucky, uh, for a Kentucky team that is similar to Providence limping into the NCAA tournament here. Um, and immediately Bryce Hopkins. And I think. If you follow John Fanta on Twitter, you saw his tweet in all caps, and I can just hear him screaming this with his fiance next to him. Um, it is this is the Bryce Hopkins Bowl? Because as everybody knows, there was a great article post posted by the Athletic. I think it was at the beginning of February, highlighting how Bryce Hopkins had a miserable time at Kentucky, didn't get a ton of playing time there, was promised the world and was given nothing. Came to Providence, worked his ass off against Ed Croswell in the offseason and has become the face of the Providence basket basketball program this season. Um, I, I think too, you know, you look at the Kentucky reaction uh, video that's circulating on Twitter. I think coach Calipari's face says it all. It's kind of like, all right, we're playing Providence. He realizes Bryce Hopkins is on the team. And then it's like, Oh shit. Like his smiles, like slowly f- fades into, I wouldn't say a frown, but just like a neutral position. This is going to be a very tough matchup for both teams. I don't think that Kentucky or Providence is either is necessarily going to run away with this one. I think it's going to be an extremely physical game with a lot of emotion going into it. And this is a, a huge 
huge pressure spot for both teams. Obviously, Ed Cooley and all the rumors around him uh, for all the success he's had that has been limited when it comes to NCAA tournament success. Yep. And Sweet 16 last year is the furthest he's ever gone. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Bryce Hopkins who's going to want revenge on his his old team. You want you guys got guys in there last year for the Friars wanting to do something. Providence hasn't won a tournament game in back to back seasons since seventy three seventy four, I believe, is when it was. So looking to do something that this program really hasn't done. I believe that's the only time it's ever happened. You go to the Kentucky side; they don't have a tournament win since pre COVID. They lost to St. Peter's in the first round last year. People have been calling for John Calipari's job now all season. And the thing that would put the cherry on top of that is getting kicked out in the first round, getting upset by a team who's in disarray. That's what people have been saying. And with a coach who might want to leave and a player who you let leave because you didn't know how to use him. Yep. If that happens. So it's, both teams, I think, are going to have a chip on their shoulder. Both teams are going to be fired up. It's high pressure. It should be tense. And you never know what's going to happen in an environment. This feels like a rivalry game in a lot of ways, even though when Providence last played Kentucky, like 2014. I was going to say, this feels it feels like we're playing Villanova or Connecticut again. The, the, yeah. the emotional anticipation from the fan base going into this one. I mean... When was the last time Providence played Kentucky? 20, 2014. They did a home yeah. in neutral with Kentucky in 2013 and 2014. That last meeting in 2014, I believe at the Barclays Center, Kentucky won 58 to 38. Oh, no, sorry. this That was the one at Rupp Arena. It was 58-38. Providence scored 16 points in the second half of that Ouch. one. Yeah, the one before that in 2013 was at the Barclays Center, and it was close for most of it uh, until Kentucky pulled away. At the end, 79-65 was the final. Kentucky's 3-0 and against Providence all time. The only other game was back in 76. Gotcha. All right. So, you know what? That's – don't hate that. It's a good, a good time as any for your first win against I was going to say. I was going to say. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, there's definitely a lot on the line here for both sides of, of this game. Um, I think one thing that does make me a little bit nervous going into this one is Bryce Hopkins um, is because, you know, there's a, this is as emotional of a game and of a week as it's been for the program. This is double that for him because he's obviously been very vocal about how he feels about his time at Kentucky. Um, I'm sure, you know, the Kentucky side of things is aware of that. And, you know, for him, I don't want I don't want him to come out and, and start forcing shots to try and prove himself. I'd like to see the game come to him. I know, Matt, this is something you and I talked about off uh, the stream is that, you know, we I'd like to see other guys get involved offensively first before we turn the switch to Hopkins. Um, that way, you know, the, the team can settle into the game. Hopkins isn't necessarily coming out of the gate, you know, like a bat out of hell. Um, and I think. I think you want to give Hopkins maybe one or two early looks just to get into the game and yeah. then let him just play. Get that first shot out of there so yep. the nerves are off. Let him get one through the basket, hopefully, and then you just play basketball. Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement there. Um, 
But yeah, I, I think this is a, a very intriguing matchup, especially in the paint. You know, you have Oscar Shibway, who's a walking double double, and Ed Croswell, who, for the better part of Big East play, was kind of slept on with respect to national attention. Um, even though he held his own against the likes of Ryan Kalkbrenner, Adama Sonogo, maybe not Joel Soriano, but certainly Eric Dixon, uh, Jack Nunji, a lot of the big men in the Big East that have been highly acclaimed and, you know, have been receiving a lot of media attention. Ed Croswell kind of flew under the radar and held his own and even outperformed them in a lot of the wins that Providence had over these opponents. So I think Croswell rises to the occasion. I don't know if he's, you know, got the build to necessarily shut down Oscar Sheway entirely. Um, but I think he can hold his own. I think, you know, a lot of people that are discussing this one-on-one matchup aren't giving Croswell enough credit. Here's a, a trivia time for you, Joe. Okay. Do you know the top three players in this year's NCAA tournament in terms of offense, offensive rebounding percentage? Oscar Shibway and Ed Croswell are two of the three. They are. They are two and three. Any idea who number one is? Is it Edie? Yeah. Yeah. Which that makes it makes that a makes ton of that sense. makes a ton of sense. The guy is a walk that that man is seven foot what three? Seven foot two. Yeah. He is a whole three percent better than Oscar Shibway. Oscar Shibway is number two in the country. Zach Eady is number one. And and the gap between the two of them is uh, the the gap between Oscar Shibway and the guy in twelfth place on this list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty wild. But yeah, Ed Croswell's there. To about three percent below what Shibway is, Croswell's at, at number ten, so he cracks the top ten nationally for what he has done this season. And it's one of those like I, Oscar Shibway is better than Ed Croswell. I don't think anybody's going to try yeah. to argue otherwise. But can Croswell give you eighty percent of what Shibway does? Can he limit the damage? Because if he can do that, if he just makes it so Shibway doesn't entirely dominate the game, Providence is going to have a real shot at winning. Yeah, not only – I agree, Oscar Sheway is better than Ed Croswell, but it's mm-hmm. not about that. It's about can Ed Croswell be better than Oscar Sheway for 30 minutes of that game? I, I don't think uh, – I think if, if, you, if you're a fan and you're looking at this game with the mindset, okay, uh, Croswell, because he did X, Y, and Z all season, is going to completely and utterly embarrass Sheway, I totally, totally wrong. If you think Shibway is going to just bully Croswell down low, I think that's also wrong. I think Croswell needs to play the level of basketball that he played against Eric Dixon, against Ryan Kalkbrenner, even though we lost against them, against Jack Nungy from Xavier. If Croswell can do that and he can hold his own and play better basketball, I think of the UConn game specifically against Adama Sunogo. If that Ed Croswell shows up to this game, Providence has a significant chance of winning. Exactly, yeah. Um, and that's, I think the other side of this too is I went through, I'm just looking at kind of Kentucky's game by game data to see what tracks the most with winning and losing for them. And what, what I found interesting, offensive rebounding really isn't that huge of a factor. If they absolutely dominate the glass, like 60% of the offensive rebounds, then yes, they win games. And if they're really, really limited, they lose games. But basically everything in like the 50 to 20% range was about the record they've had all season. So, yeah, it's they're going to do well on the glass, I think, no matter what you do. It's not about beating them on the glass. It's about not getting killed there. Just don't – you're not going to win the game there, but don't lose the game there. And that's going to put emphasis on 
everybody else, especially the offense and the scoring, to make up whatever that difference ends up being, which is a Kentucky defense that hasn't been fantastic this year. I think Providence's offense will be able to go to work against it. Yeah, and I said this to you before we started recording, Matt, is that this game to me screams like it's going to be a little bit of a mixture of at Seton Hall, at home over Marquette, and then at home over UConn, where, you know, with respect to the Seton Hall and Marquette games, our offense essentially just outran them. I think Marquette especially, you know, our offense kind of just took it and ran away. It wasn't necessarily a defensive slugfest, but the UConn game in that, you know, you still need to show up and at least punch them defensively. You can't roll over. So I think there's a fine line to be towed here where, you know, you need to the offense to fire on sil- on all cylinders, but you can't expect this to be a foot race because if you do, you're going to lose. You need to at least bring some defensive intensity. I think the last seven minutes of the UConn game at MSG during the Big East tournament, if that defensive team shows up and the offensive team that shows up that beat Marquette early on in December – I think Providence will win it easily, but who knows what Providence team is going to show up. Yeah, and that's where I think one thing that I, I've noticed since Thursday afternoon, talked to Ed in the post game. he was as excited as I have ever seen him after a loss, and I think a lot of that had to do with figuring things out in the last 12 minutes. We didn't even talk about that game on here, yeah. but that was the first 28 minutes were awful, and then Terrible. things clicked. Like that's for 28 minutes, UConn was the best team in the nation. And for 12 minutes, Providence made UConn look like the team from January. And Providence played like the team it was back in January. Yep. If you get exactly. that 12 minutes over a full game, if you can get that effort, that energy. Um, I think the thing that, that stood out with that too is they just hit shots. Yeah. When the guys on the outside hit shots for Providence, it opens up room on the inside for Bryce Hopkins to work. And then he gets the one on one matchups where he can dominate and he can doesn't have to play through contact every single time he touches the ball and it makes everything flow. That's why this offense is I think 16th in the nation on Ken Palm. It's a really good offense. You just need the guys to hit the shots to make it run. I always say this, you know, offense and defense feed into one another. And when you're playing bad defense, you're going to get frustrated on offense. And when you're frustrated on offense and the shots aren't falling, you're a little bit slower to get back on defense because you're discouraged. I think when you look at that 12-minute stretch at Madison Square Garden last Thursday, the two guys that you know jump off the paper at me or jump off the court, whatever you want to say, are Noah Locke and Corey Floyd. I mean, those two guys made all the difference. Locke started hitting his outside shots. Corey Floyd had a couple of steals, a couple of big buckets down the stretch there. Those are the two guys to me that were like, okay, this is what's clicking right now. And if that means you're going to sacrifice ball-handling guards like – Breed, Bynum, and Jaden Pierre on the bench for those two in the backcourt. So be it. You know, I, I think we even saw Devin Carter bringing the ball up and playing the one for a couple of minutes there late down the stretch. So if that's what it takes to be competitive in these games, then that's fine by me. I mean, it, you need guys that are going to be spark plugs from here on out. It's not about egos. It's not about playing time. It's about winning basketball games. And that's the most important thing down the stretch here. If that means your freshman and your fifth year transfer from Louisville and Florida and, and wherever the hell Noah Lockhells came from, <laughs> if that means those guys are getting your minutes and you're having your small forward bring the ball up, fine. <laughs> yeah, and I thought I – thought, I think Noah Locke can really be the X factor in this game. Yeah, because his veteran experience will help you out here, but also because it's Oscar Sheepway on the other side. He's not a guy who's going to come all the way out on defense. Right. And that means that you can set some high screens and get guys going down towards the basket. 
Noah Locke will have opportunities for three-pointers. He'll have opportunities for those elbow jumpers, where I think he's actually done very well with those elbow jumpers this year. That mid-range game has been there for him. He likes and those he a can, lot. Yeah, and if he can start getting some of those going, that is where the rest of the offense comes to life. Yeah. You don't need anything crazy dynamic from him, but if he can just get you a couple shots, I think if you can uh, – we're probably going to ask for three three-pointers from Noah Locke, two or three three-pointers, and – two or three mid-range shots, you do that and you get yourself a nice 15 to 20 point performance in this one. That with the rest of what this team does should work. You just have to not turn the ball over. I and mean, it's a Kentucky defense. It doesn't really force turnovers. So do that. Find some ways to be active on the glass. I do note Oscar Sheepway is fantastic at defensive rebounding as well. That's not an mm-hmm. area where you see any of the Providence players on the top, top leaderboard there. Yeah. But I, so you just you, you're gonna have to be active on the glass at both ends. You're gonna have to outwork them on the glass, minimize the difference there, and hit your shots on offense. And this will at least be a close game if you meet all of those criteria. Yeah, I agree. I think something that doesn't necessarily jump off the stat sheet either, but has been something that has been a thorn in our side for the month of March. You cannot sleepwalk out of the gates in this game. No, you cannot come out and fall behind by double figures. You just, you can't do it. It, it, You overcame the the deficit against Xavier. You almost did it against UConn and you really didn't even try against Seton Hall. If you do that against Kentucky, they're going to run you out of the state of North Carolina. Forget the gym. They're going to run you out of the state and back up to the Northeast. You, this team needs to come out ready to play. No, you know, missing three pointers, take good shots. Let the offense come to you and lock in defensively. It's really, it's not that difficult. And yeah, and that's Providence has lost three games in a row now. And in all three of them, they got down by 20 plus points early. That is what's unacceptable. Like it's just, you're not going to beat, you're you're not beating SEMO that way, who I believe is playing right now as we do this. Um, I think that's the 16s game that's going on right now. Semo and FDU. Yeah, but um, yeah, you're not you're not beating anybody if you're opening the gate and, and coming out and just trotting out of it. No, you got to come out full speed. You got to come out locked in. You have to play well. And honest, I will say against UConn, I thought the first like four minutes of that game the team played well, and then they lost it. The, and the I first... think that's how long how long have we talked about it this season? They don't they still don't have a solid rotation of guys. And I think that's because the players themselves are so inconsistent. There isn't really a button to push. That's like, okay, we can go to this right now. Yeah. I think that was probably one of my bigger frustrations with that game is it's like you go down in these holes and you try and throw shit at the wall to see what sticks. Um, I, I feel like you got to keep things tight, you know, especially now this is you're, you're playing for your life here. You lose this game and the 2022, 2023 campaign is over. So you really don't have time to tinker with, okay, does Rafael Castro play better defense than Bryce Hopkins right now? You don't have time for that. Uh, just it's a fact of the matter. Um, and quite honestly, in the backcourt too, if, if, if X players making shots and X player isn't defending, he's got to sit the bench, you know, egos have to have to take a backseat here with respect to, to postseason play. And, you know, that could, that could, work against me too right now you know Bryce Hopkins could have a bad game and could sit the bench like just because it's his if it's his revenge game doesn't mean he deserves those minutes now do I think that no, he's you going play, to have a bad game no you play the best five I mean that's yeah. what this is all about and 
I, realistically, you're going to have to play the best six or seven in this one. You're going to need a couple of groups that you can throw out there because Kentucky's deep and Kentucky's talented and they got a lot of guys. They just, uh, KMAC put out this tweet earlier. They're one in seven this year against top 30 Ken Palm offenses. So if the offense, basically, if Providence's offense locks in and gets going, this is not a Kentucky offense that has been able to keep up with that for most of the season. Yeah. Even with Providence's defense having issues, you, you just give a semblance of a care on defense, especially when Kentucky misses shots. And as long as the offense is going, you're going to be all right. The other part of this, too, is if you get misses, you get to play in transition. Yeah. We've talked about it for so long now because it's just simple and it's true and it works. Bryce Hopkins is a freak athlete and is much better in the open floor than in the half court. Same for yeah. Devin Carter. Devin Carter, all alone with the ball, is a, a guaranteed free two points. He doesn't miss those. He's just going to dunk it. I think back to that six-game win streak or whatever, however many games it was at the start of conference play. Hopkins and Carter in transition were absolutely fantastic. And I think the Marquette game specifically, you had Hopkins coming down the the, the court like a steam train, and you had Tyler Kolek, who was guarding him, the eventual biggest player of the year, immediately gets blown, uh, whistle gets blown, he goes to the stripe. If you get a Hopkins full head of steam, you know, looking to steamroll his some of his former teammates, and you know, they don't get their feet set or, or they let they leave that hand in there too long while trying to contest a shot, Hopkins can get to the line very easily. So I think you're you're totally right, Matt, with respect to transition play. Um, on the Kevin McNamara front, I actually in the wee hours of the night when I was on my Twitter binge until two o'clock in the morning, I actually listened to a replay of the Kevin Mack sports hour. And mm-hmm. he said that stat that you just shared about uh, Kentucky being one and seven against top 30 Ken Palm opponents. This, he also said, this is not uh, your, you know, he, he said, this is not your father's Kentucky where they have, you know, a nice array of, you know, first round NBA draft picks. This is a Kentucky that looks much different this year. I mean, granted, Shibway is really good. Toppin is really good. We saw him, what, what was that, at URI a couple seasons ago. They still he have was, good uh, players. He was back there in 2020. He was there our senior year. Yeah. They still have some really good players. Calipari is, is a really good coach. But this is not the same Kentucky that won, what is it, eight national championships. This is not the no. Kentucky that is ranked first in the nation. Kentucky's backcourt is a little bit young a little bit beat up right now. And I think, you know, our, our backcourt is just blatantly older and better is in my personal opinion. And I haven't it watched a lot you. of Kentucky basketball, but this is what everything is pointing to right now. Yeah. Well, when you look at the, some of the names to watch here in their backcourt, Kaysen Wallace, who's a freshman, he's going to go to the NBA next year. He's really the only bona fide NBA guy on this roster. I think right now, at least first round, like lottery pick type guy next year. Right. Um, He's their starting point guard, and he's fine. He passes the ball pretty well. He can he can play some pretty good defense. He's not a great three point shooter. He's below thirty five percent. He's streaky. He, he's not. He, he's an average shooter. He's nothing more than that. Antonio Reeves in the shooting guard position for them, who's a transfer up from from Illinois State. He's in his fourth year. He's a senior. This is these are not the guys you typically see when you're talking about a Kentucky team. Right. He's a good three-point shooter. He hits it over 40% from deep. So that's a guy you got to cover. After that, Chris Livingston's a freshman for them. He doesn't really do a whole lot. He's six foot six. He can help you out on the defensive end, but he's not 
none none of these offensive numbers pop whatsoever for him. And he doesn't really knock down shots from deep. He doesn't take a lot of shots from deep. Jacob Toppin is a good player for them. But again, he's there's nothing that super jumps out other than that he's a good rebounder. He's not a fantastic shooter or finisher. And then you got Oscar Shibway, who's obviously a national player of the year type guy and, and who can take over a game. And we'll see if Severe Wheeler plays in this one. He's a small guard for them who can can do some stuff and can make things work for them. But it's not – you're absolutely correct by saying this is not your, your father's Kentucky team. This isn't the <laughs> Kentucky team we watched in middle school growing up. No. This is not – it's an offense that's effective because Oscar Sheepway is really, really, really good, and they all, and they get offensive rebounds and second chances. Just be competitive on the glass, and this offense is not that good. Right, and this isn't me trying to take anything away from this Kentucky team or program because obviously Kentucky is a very historically well-known college basketball program. But I think when you look at you know the landscape of college basketball fandom and March Madness as a whole, a lot of people are immediately writing Providence off here because it's Kentucky, the blue blood, the national multiple national championships versus Providence, the small Northeast school out of the big East that, you know, got the doors beat off in the big East tournament. And, you know, I think a lot of people are just looking at the overall program historic profiles in this one and aren't really digging into the details. Like this, I, I personally think the sixth seed is very generous for Kentucky. I think it's a very generous seed. This given is, Kentucky I saw this board. as a seven ten matchup right. in brackets about a week ago. So this is a really good draw for the Friars. It's an inconsistent yeah. Kentucky team from a team that has lost two of its last three, by the way, mm-hmm. both to, to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Who's and in Vanderbilt, the yeah, and Vanderbilt's playing good ball right now, but they're not like Providence can play that level of ball. Providence has played better ball this season as recently as a month and a half ago. Right. And it just like you look through this resume for Kentucky, they, they lost on a neutral site to Michigan State. They lost at Gonzaga. These are obviously acceptable losses, but they did happen. They lost to UCLA on a neutral court. They did beat Michigan on a neutral court in a game that was very close. I believe that game was in England back in November. They did a special over there. They have a loss to Missouri. They have a loss to South Carolina. That's that's the Georgetown of the SEC right now in terms of how good they are. Yeah, That's a bad loss. That's a, that's a really bad loss for Kentucky. Mm-hmm. That's a quad four loss. That was at home too. <laughs> they, they lost to Kansas at home. They lost to Arkansas. They lost to Georgia and then twice to Vanderbilt. Georgia is like, I don't know, the butler of the SEC right now with how good they are. If you, I mean, if you had a team from the Big East yeah. that lost to both of those teams, we're not talking this way about them. The only no. reason Kentucky is being talked about this way mostly is because of That's the brand. Uh, there's the brand. And they, I mean, they have some good wins in there too. I listed the losses, not the wins. It's not like they haven't beaten anybody. Right. But they're up and down. You don't know which team you're going to get. Kentucky could blow the doors off Providence. Providence could go in there if Kentucky has a bad night and blow the doors off the Wildcats. Yeah. Either it, can happen. I, I, I mean, really, the, the the character foil here of Kentucky is Providence. Like, they both had, they both have some, you know, not so great losses on their resume. They both have some good wins. This is a, a, a more even of a matchup than the seeding suggests, and I think that's what's important to note here. And if there at was, least, yeah, it's an it's an even matchup if we get the Providence team 
that we saw back in January or February. Exactly. If the, if the Providence team that was ranked in the top 25 for whatever, six or seven straight weeks with Bryce Hopkins in the conversation for Big East player of the year in the running for at least a share of the Big East regular season title. If that Providence shows up to Greensboro, North Carolina on Friday to play Kentucky, I think you're going to get a very, very close game. Like exactly close enough where the, the, the spread of four isn't covered. Yeah, and if it's a close game, then it's just going to come down to who makes the shots. And you know what? If Kentucky makes them, Kentucky makes them, and that will happen sometimes. But yeah. I think this can be absolutely a competitive game. And you know, the, the Friars have gotten a little bit unlucky at points of the season, it's felt, and part of that has been absolutely self-inflicted. Right, but shoot yourself just, in the foot. Yeah, but there might be a little regression to the mean due here. Like this team has played bad basketball, I think, because they haven't been locked in. And Ed Cooley seems as happy as he's ever been. All the press stuff this week, talk about how excited he is. He said after the UConn game, this is a team that can go to the Final Four. What do you say? say Don't be surprised if we go to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Either he's bluffing hardcore and he's trying to get his his team up and trying to get them motivated, which is possible. If he's trying to talk them up and, and make them feel better, I guess, and, and try to get some higher-level play out of them. Or he's finally seen something out of them and he's seen yeah. them come together and they've had meetings and things have gone well and things have been better in practices. And if that's the case, that if you go in Bart Torvik, which is 10 bomb, but free, you can sort dates on there. <laughs> and from the start of December, I think through the Yukon win or the St. John's win in early January, Providence was like a top 15 team in the country. Yeah. If you get that team, the only way they lose is if Kentucky goes and does something crazy or Oscar Sheepway dominates the game. And if that happens, that happens. You put yourself in the spot by losing the games to play a team as good as Kentucky in the first round. Yeah. I just want to make a comment on the, on the Cooley. As good of a motivator as Cooley is for these young men, he's also a great coach and a great mentor. And I think if you're going to read between the lines with some of this stuff here, you look at – Providence's reaction when they heard their name called during the selection show. Cooley immediately looks at Bryce Hopkins. Hopkins walks around. Cooley doesn't keep his gaze off of Hopkins. They come back, they embrace. So it's, you know, Cooley knows damn well what's at stake here for his star player and for his program. And if we're going to, you know, flip the pages back a little bit here to what we talked about at the beginning of the show, a win over Kentucky and Calipari only helps this man with whatever negotiations he's working on in the background exactly so obviously we'll see how it goes i think it was also notable like i think there have been the body language experts have been out and about the last couple weeks and i'm not going to speculate i would guess some of that is fair i I don't know to which point that did not look like a team on selection sunday that didn't want to be together that -hmm. looked like a bunch of guys that do want to play and are excited and you know what? Maybe waiting until the very last 11 seed to be picked and having some nervousness on Selection Sunday about whether or not they're making it breathes a little more life into you. Cooley was uh, clearly – he said this is a second chance. So, You know what? Sometimes you need a little wake-up call to you know, get you going on the right track. Hopefully the right track for us is a win on, on Friday. Happy yeah. St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. And let's not forget, when this team went into the NCAA tournament last year, it had just gotten blown out by Creighton on yep. Friday of the Big East tournament and had just lost to Villanova just before that and had lost to Villanova again, I think, right before that or yep. no, it was a couple, couple weeks before that. But I had lost two out of three, including a blowout loss on a neutral site to a nine seed or an eight seed or whatever Creighton was. 
That yeah. was not a Providence team that was trending in the right direction into the tournament. It was a team that got into the Sweet 16. I don't care about momentum. I don't care that this team has lost three in a row. This team is Jekyll and Hyde. There are two Providence teams this year. I also don't care about the home road splits because we saw this team almost lose to, to Ryder in the first game of the season at home. I don't think it's home road. I think it's that this team was locked in for six weeks and has been hit or miss for the rest of the season. It's just that those six weeks happen to coincide with facing a couple good teams at home. And it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's also always easier to win at home, but how are you, how are you going to watch the last 12 minutes of that UConn game and tell me this team has an ability playing on a neutral site? Uh, you, you can't. Uh, there is some truth to the to playing at home versus playing away from home. I think a lot of people like to beat that argument to death because it works in the favor of bashing Providence is my take on that. There is truth to it. Providence did not play well away from home this season. That's an objective fact. You can't argue that. I think taking that and dissecting it and using it as an analysis of the team and, and X, Y, and Z, I, I think that is just, you know, that's banter and that's conjecture that you don't really need. So like you said, Matt, Providence played the best basketball of the last month and a half during those final seven minutes against UConn at Madison square garden. So you know what, if that team shows up to against Kentucky on Friday, I'd be very confident in the Friars. Yeah. And let's, let's not forget here. Some of the away from home performances, like there's the Miami St. Louis and TCU ones, which get brought up. Right in between those were two home games against teams outside of the top 300 in Genbaum that were kind of close for most of them. 14-point wins in each of them at home. Not the greatest performances. And, you know, they got they got the win at Seton Hall. They got a win at Villanova. Yeah. They went to Xavier and send that game to overtime. Either team could have won that one. They didn't have a letdown. You know, the, the road letdown against St. John's happened – kind of in that right as we turned to, to February and things started to go south. The loss at UConn, they showed up for, and UConn just pulled away. And they lost the last two regular season games at home. I think this team just sometimes doesn't show up for games, and they, it happened yeah. to also happen on the road against good teams. <laughs> right. So there's really – there's no there's – no, uh, there's no pattern here. There, there's no real common theme other than – if the team shows up, chances are they're winning. If the team doesn't show up, regardless of the building that they're playing in, chances are they're going to lose or make it very difficult for themselves to win. Exactly. Yep, that's the key thing right there. And I think we'll know in the first five to ten minutes of this game on Friday night if Providence is going to have a shot or not. I agree. I, I will say this. No, maybe I won't say it. I don't want – no, I'm not going to say it. Okay. <laughs> I changed my mind. I don't want to say it. <laughs> no jinxes. No jinxes. No. No. But yeah, Friday night uh, on CBS, you get the primetime treatment for this one. I would assume if Providence gets through to Sunday, they probably also get that treatment for a Sunday game. I assume the crew would be staying. So could be a nice little national treatment for the Friars and a really good chance to prove yourself on a national stage. Yep. This is, I mean, this is it. It's do or die time. It's, it's zero and zero. You wipe the records clean. Nothing that happened before this matters. So you go out and you do what you can. And I think I don't, I don't mind if this team loses at this point. And this is kind of what I said about the Big East tournament. I mind whether or not they show up and play hard. Exactly. Uh, if, you know, you put the effort in like you did at Xavier, you know, like you did 
at, I guess, against UConn in the final seven minutes. If the team makes an effort and, you know, looks like they want to be there and they're competing at the top level that they can, and at the end of the day, the ball just doesn't roll their way and they lose, that you can stomach. If they get curb stomped, that's when I'm upset because that's just a lack of effort. Exactly. I think that's about all we have to say on this one. Yeah. Um, enjoy your Guinnesses. Throw on your Friar Lucky shirts and your Scally caps because this one's on St. Patrick's Day for the second year in a row. Gotta love it. Playing on St. Patrick's Day is fun. I took I took Friday off in advance anyway because <laughs> I was like, you know what? I want I want to be able to enjoy my basketball on on Friday, and uh, all five Big East teams playing. So I that's- think. And that then a was lot of very wise choice of PTO, Matthew. It was perfect, perfectly designed. So uh, got four in the early slot there. I'll get to wake up and just enjoy the first four games yeah. and then figure out what I'm doing for the late games. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it for us on this one. That is Joe Howie. I am Matt St. Jean. We'll probably see you at some point next week. We're depending on what happens here, maybe this weekend. If there's, yeah. if there's good and or awful news, we may have to do an emergency <laughs> podcast. So oh, we shall we shall see what happens. But for Joe, I'm Matt St. Jean. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Go Friars.